Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. Got another multi-episode week on tap for you. We got to start out here week with a special episode. We joined again by Dan Federico, our Yankee guy here on the podcast. After the Yankee debacle in the American League Championship Series, they get swept by the Houston Astros. Well, they don't even belong on the same field as Houston. We're going to talk about that with Dan in just a minute. Make sure you lock in the end of the show for the two-minute drill. I'm going to weigh in on the Jet injury situation and how I love the trade they has made to get another running back in here after Brees Hall goes down for the year. So talk about the two-minute drill. you let me hear on the Just and Suffering podcast. Feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can follow episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. It'll help the podcast even better going forward. You'll check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of the conversations with Dan are up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, we're going to get into our opening tip here. We're going to talk a little bit about my general take on what's wrong with the Yankees here before we dive into more civics with Dan in a minute. We're going to start that off in our opening tip right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. And obviously, the big takeaway here at the Yankee situation is they get swept by the Astros. They did not look like they belong in the same field as Houston. And that was disturbing. This is a team that in 2017, the Baby Bombers first come up. Joe Girardi and the Baby Bomber Yankees take the Astros seven games in the American League Championship Series. They lose that series. This is a fun year. We're going to be back. This this team is full of babies. We're going to be all in the mix. It's going to be very exciting. Great time to be a Yankee fan. What they have done since then has really messed up a golden opportunity here. They have not added the kinds of elite talent to support the youngsters that they needed. They also not developed the youngsters very well. In case he forgot the debacles with Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier, like among others. This team, the Baby Bombers, what good players really come out of that group? Apart from Aaron Judge. I give you Glaber Torres, kind of. He's been up and down. Severino, when he's healthy, is good, but he's been hurt a lot. Gary Sanchez is a disaster. They made this awful trip. The Twins just get rid of him, and they bring in Josh Donaldson, IKF, which is a disaster in its own right. But they didn't do nearly enough to add this team. They traded with John Carl Stan, which is a good move. They could have had either Bryce Harper or May Machado on the team in 2019. They chose not to do that. They said, you know, we're going to let the kids compete for these jobs and give the kids a job at the end of the day. If you're a Yankee fan, you're seeing what Bryce Harper is doing for the Phillies in the NLCS these monster home runs they're getting the World Series. And you're sitting here going, we're running Aaron Hicks out in these games. We tried Joey Gallo. It didn't work. We could have just signed Bryce Harper for money and had him be here. And he would have been a perfect fit for Yankee Stadium with the short porch, lefty power. But nope, chose not to do that. 
the general mindset here with the Yankees, I feel like the bar has been lowered for this franchise, which back in the early 2000s, late 90s, was we are winning at all costs. There's a big guy on the market fits our needs. We're going to get him. We're going to sign Jason Giambi. We're going to trade for A-Rod. We're going to go get Gary Sheffield to the middle of our line. We'll sign Hideki Matsui out of Japan. We'll sign CeCe Sabathia and A.J. Burnett and Mark Teixeira. The Yankees don't do that anymore. They make their big splashes like on a more cost-conscious level. It makes sense. Garrett Cole is their base expansion in about a decade. Because check the five years before, five years after, they have not done really anything free agent-wise that lives up to that. I feel like the mandate from the Yankees has now been like, we're going to get in the playoffs because we should never miss the playoffs. It's like, as long as we're in there and we have a good enough team, we can get hot because the postseason is a crapshoot. And they're going to tell you, look at the NL side where the Dodgers go out, the Braves go out, and the Mets go out. All three teams in the NL won 100 games all lost for the NLCS. They say the playoffs are random. Why should we spend the extra dollars? We're going to get in every year. We're going to break through once. We're going to win it, and then we'll keep going. The problem with that philosophy is when you're playing a team like the Houston Astros, who are so, so, so deep, so talented all over the roster, and they have such a deep lineup, one through nine, they were all making plays, and they're all hitting. The Yankee lineup, outside of Judge, outside of Giancarlo, Anthony Rizzo, a little bit of Glaber, who is doing anything in these spots? They're running out there. Watch Josh Donaldson, Jose Trevino, who flopped after his all-star first half and became more of a normal guy the second half. IKF, no one can start on that one, where they brought him in to be a stopgap. They fell in love with the analytics and mishandled their shortstop situation because Oswald Peraza was ready probably about July. To be called up. They did not call it until September 1st, and they barely played him to the point where this is a kid who could have sparked you and helped to the playoffs, and he's not ready to contribute because you have to play IKF and his mediocre defense, which you saw it cost you in the ALCS. You had the rotating outfield situation where we're signing Matt Carpenter off the street. He's working out. We've seen the Ben Tenney trade didn't work. They signed DJ to this ridiculously six long six-year contract to lower the luxury tax hit. These moves bother me because to me, it's like you are the New York Yankees. You make money hand over fist. You should be going for the kill when you have this young team and supplementing it with all this talent. And there are so many guys you can go over the few years who have been perfect fists. They've ignored. We've mentioned Bryce Harper. Manny Machado at third base would have been fantastic for the Yankees. And you could say, oh, we have Miguel Andohar. You could trade Miguel Andohar for a piece you could have used. Maybe you could have gotten Garrett Cole to trade instead of, you know, having to sign him a couple of years later. You could have had Justin Verlander trade. You didn't do that over money. You could have signed any of the shortstops last season. There were five of them in the market. You had, obviously, Trey Turner. Now, Trey Turner's not this year, coming up this year. You had uh, Corey Seager. You had Marcus Simeon, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story. Five shortstops who could have, you know, Fix add a huge upgrade to your offense, been a shortstop for a year or two, then move to another position when you bring up your Anthony Volpe or Peraza. But nope, we're going to go take on Josh Donaldson's contract and IKF for no reason. It could have signed Freddie Freeman for first base and had him be the guy and add a true lefty slugger this line and a big impact bat to go right behind Judd and Stan. They took the stopgap and signed Rizzo for two years. The bullpen here, I mean... The mess, this is a mess of the Chapman thing. Britain getting hurt is not unfortunate, but are they really going to add a big piece in the offseason? 
They're not outbeating the Mets back with Diaz. Where are you going for the bullpen? I'm telling you, you're going to have Clay Holmes back as your closer next year. Hope he's good for the full year. You have Lou Trevino. You have Loise again. Say, okay, internal guys. They could have had a big starting pitcher. I mean, I know Max Scherzer didn't do well in the playoffs of the Mets this year, but he was on the market. They could have signed him for just money. They chose not to do it. Not a lot's not going to change with this team because Hal Steinbrenner right now, I don't think, is as motivated as George to go for the kill and win at all costs. Hal Steinbrenner is more focused on his bottom line, which it's his right as a, as a business owner to do what he wants. But you can't say I'm going all out for the championship and give me the Donaldson IKF trade to be adjusting after your 2021 season was a near disaster. You want to say the postseason is random? Okay, I could buy that. Like we've seen it. But the last five years, the Yankees have been eliminated by a team better than them in the postseason. The Yankees have not been the best team in the American League in years. Getting in and hoping that some you can beat the better team is not an optimal strategy. Running back the same approach offensively as they've done for years and years, just right-handed power with hitters that do not adjust in situations where the calls for shortening the strokes. That's not working well either. There lies with this team. We'll get more into it in a second. You're going to be joined by Dan Federico right after this. All right, we are back here after a debacle for the Yankees and ALCS. They get swept away by the Houston Astros. Joining me to sort of put a cap around this season, sort of figure out what went wrong here, what they can do to fix it going forward. Uh, our Yankee guy on the podcast, you follow him on Twitter. He's a big Yankee presence. Dan Federico is back. Dan, how are you? Mike, what's going on? Um, talking very soon, sooner than I thought we would be, but here we are. Yeah, we certainly are here. I mean, going into this series, I'll admit I thought the Astros were going to win here. I did not think this was going to be a sweep where they were dominated as much as they were. So, like, what do you think went wrong just in general for the Yankees here in this series? Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're going to hear, well, they, they were close games. And, yeah, the scores were close for the most part. And, you know, it, it, it is, you know, if you look at the box score, that's what you'll see, right? But, I mean, it kind of, after game two, I mean, even going into game three with Garrett Cole, um, once, once that one was done, it was kind of like there, there was no life left. Uh, in me as a, as a watcher, a viewer, fan, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, it, it just seemed like it was, it was all offense. I mean, the pitching, especially the starting pitching did its job. Yes. You know, you see the, the, the bullpen gave up big hits and key moments, but, um, that would have been all for nothing if this big offense that was touted all season long came through really in any situation. I mean, there was some life yesterday and I was surprised, uh, game four, you know, they had a lead twice. Um, but you know what? It, they, they fell apart again there as well. And, you know, I, I kind of, I shift my focus to the offense. that They didn't really show up at all, and I think that's where, where the blame starts. Yeah, I mean, when you strike out almost 50 times in a, in a four-game series, that's, that's kind of hard to do and expect to win games here. And I think whether it was – the thing that sort of sticks out to me is obviously pretty much like everybody had a bad series in this group here, but the thing that stuck out to me with the lineup was just the stubbornness they sort of had with Josh Donaldson where he was like hitting in prime spots in the middle of the order. He saw the ridiculous swing the other day where he's laughing going his way back to the dugout. He's hitting, like, in the middle of the order every night. And to me, I mean, that's sort of, like, the opinion of the offense as a whole, is that, like, they just look helpless up there, and they were just doing very little to change it up. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because on one hand, you had, you know, they never knew who was playing shortstop on any given day. They didn't know who was leading off, who was closing. Uh, there were a lot of question marks, but at the same time, it was, well, Donaldson's going to stay at third base, stay batting fifth, and listen, I get it. 
you all you want to say he's owed a lot of money, so that's why he's in. Fine. You want to say he has the pedigree and past success, and obviously former MVP. Fine. But the proof is in the pudding. The proof is right in front of your eyes. He was not getting it done. He looked lost at the plate. I know he's a good defensive third baseman, and there is value in that. Trust me, I get it. But that doesn't mean you have to bat him fifth, sixth. You know, pretty much hard of the lineup every single game. Um, you know, th- they were really called between a rock and a hard place. I'm not gonna, you know, get on Boone as much for for playing him every day. I kind of feel like that that's really where they were at at this point and just something they had to do but um but yeah it was it was definitely interesting where like I said before on one hand there was so much uncertainty and on the other hand there was no changing anything whatsoever yeah I want to talk about the shortstop situation here because I mean we talked prior to the ALCS and you were saying oh there's no way they're putting Oswald Peraza on the roster because they they're not going to play him they put him on here they start in one game he's riding the bench the other games IKF starts two Oswaldo Cabrera starts one here I mean I feel like that didn't help either because like IKF made no sense where he was benched for clinching games in the Cleveland series, and here he is in the big spots in this series. Peraza's here. He's playing well, but not getting much of a shot here. It made no sense how they handled shortstop either. Yeah, I mean, I was on record um, on Twitter basically uh, saying, you know, Peraza should have been playing every single day when he got called up. Now, listen, I understand, um, you know, they really believe in IKF. I mean, how many times do you hear Boone in the second half of the season say that he's one of the best defensive shortstops on a on a post-game press conference after ICAP is making errors. Um, you know, they, they really stuck by him. But in the playoffs, I mean, it was it was literally every day that they didn't know who was playing. And, you know, in a way, I felt bad for ICAP because, you know, he comes in and, and he does have that belief system behind him. And, you know, according to stats, and you know, he, he'd had a good batting average and, and good with runners in scoring position. But as a whole, he just was not an impact player whatsoever. And it was just super interesting how every single game uh, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting on bated breath. Who's going to play shortstop? And like I said before, I was in the firm belief that once you call Oswald Peraza up, he should be playing every single day at shortstop. Get what you can out of, out of him. Whether it's good or bad, you have to see what you have. Um, and, and this was the time to do it. So um, very interesting. And, you know, going into last offseason, shortstop was a big question mark. And, and here we are again. Yeah, the thing about that, too, is that last year, I mean, IKF was a gold glover at third base. So it made you wonder, it's something I was thinking about off, like before we got on here. It's like, if you're not worried about the defense at third and Donald's not hitting, why not put IKF at, sh- at third base and give, open up shortstop for Peraza? And you just keep your defense in. Maybe he has a little bit better luck offensively than Donaldson. Yeah, that definitely made sense. And that's something I was looking at as well um, with IKF being that gold glove third base and someone who you could put there. I just think that, you know, they, they, they believe that Donaldson could run into one and have a big hit. And that's something, you know, less likely obviously with IKF, Oswald Peraza, um, even Ozzy Cabrera, if you're going to play him somewhere uh, at shortstop. So um, I think that was the thought process on top of, you know, being oh, 29 or whatever million dollars it is. Um, I think that's why they kept it that way. Um, they were hoping Donaldson would run into one, but but he was lost and, and it kind of trickled into everything else. Yeah, I think the thing I noticed too throughout this series here, and it's something I've talked to with friends of mine who are Yankee fans off the air, is sort of like the approach that the lineup takes here. I know that you have to home runs win the postseason, but like the Astros showed you the importance of like getting guys on base and getting those three run homers as opposed to Yankees hitting solo shots a lot of this series. And I think the thing that bothered me was just walking here. Like I mean, Stan also loses some of his post game comments. I think after game two is that you know like you have to go into short up your stroke and make adjustments offensively when you're not having success. And they weren't it's like nobody nobody was willing to do that. Yeah, I mean it seemed like no one was willing to make any changes, or they, maybe they didn't even have a chance because the Astros were that good pitching wise. Um, but yeah, it was just, they, I mean, listen, again, look at the box scores. 
you could see the scores and you could see, oh, they were close games. But as somebody who watched every single inning, Mike, I know you did too. I just didn't feel it in any game that there was going to be a chance that they were going to break out. It just it had that feeling. And I hate to sound like that pessimistic fan because I do believe in the team. And, you know, they had such a great first half. But you just felt it. I mean, the Astros had their number in every single regard. When they would have people come up, it was like someone's going to have this clutch hit, whether it was the guys McCormick or not at the bottom of the lineup. Or, of course, you know, you have Bregman hitting the big home run, Yuli Gurriel hitting big home runs, the guys who've done it in the past. It's just one through nine, everybody got it done for them, and that was something the Yankees just did not have. Yeah, it's true here. And we talked a little about Aaron, but we're going to talk a lot more about him in the next couple of minutes here. And I want to start with the bullpen, Matt, here, because obviously there are questions in the Cleveland series. They get called some of his players in the locker room after the Clay Holmes incident, and I think the two games really hurt them. Specifically, it was game one where he's putting in guys like Clark Schmidt and Frankie Montas, but they probably shouldn't be in. And then in game three, the one that Michael Kay famously is ripping him on on the postgame show afterwards when Garrett Cole gets in some trouble here at 95 pitches. He takes him out and not, and decides, I'm going to go to my fourth-best reliever, Lou Trevino, with the season on the line, essentially, and that backfires on him. So, like, what do you think of the bull, Boone bullpen handling here? I mean, but you pretty much covered all right there. It was just very, very inconsistent. I mean, I think about game three and game four, like you said, Garrett Cole gets pulled at 96 pitches. That's your ace. That's your guy. That's not even factoring in taking him out for, or I'm sorry, putting in Lou Trevino instead of Jonathan Wiseguy. I think you stay with him no matter what. He's thrown almost 120 pitches in a game this year. He has the wherewithal to do that, and that's why you pay him what he's making, to pitch in those moments to get out of it. You live by him, you die by him. If he gives up the home run, I mean, I, I, I'd rather see him give that up than, uh, than Lou Trevino getting in there and giving up the runs. And then it's weird because on the flip side, you know, yesterday you see Nestor Cortez struggling, and it's very apparent. Uh, in terms of when you're looking at how fast he's throwing and just how uncomfortable he looks. He wasn't getting the swings and misses that he usually gets, but they decide to stick with him. And I get it. You're going uh, off his words, and, and you understand. And, and it came out today that um, he was dealing with this. Nestor Cortez was dealing with this all playoffs, and he obviously had big games as well. So, And, and I'm not one to say they shouldn't have gone with him, but I say be consistent. If you're going to stick with Cortez, why don't you stick with Boone? Or if you're going to uh, – I'm sorry, go um, – if you stick with Cortez, why don't you stick with Cole? And if on the flip side, if you're going to pull Cole in a situation like that, you should be ready to pull Nestor as soon as that happens. And and it's it was bad luck either way for Boone. He was going to look bad regardless, and unfortunately he made the wrong move twice. Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very bad series for Boone as a whole, not even just for the stuff on the field, but in terms of, like, the, the thing that lost me, I, I said to friends, like, off right. the air, I said, like, they were doomed, I think, when they came out of game two, when they lose the game, when – we hear about exit velo and the roof being open is an excuse for losing. I said, that's a loser mentality. It's not something I'm used to hearing out of the Yankees. It's, it's become more of a theme than we all like to hear. I mean, this is, this is what it is now. We're going to, in a couple of, what, in a couple of days, we're going to get the Cashman press conference where, well, we ran into a buzzsaw and we should have been healthy and we didn't have these players who, who uh, weren't there and, and we didn't get hot at the right time. The excuses are going to keep piling on, and it's going to be sick and tiring for a lot of fans, including myself. I mean, this is something now we've been dealing with since 2018. I mean, when you look back, 2017 was that they shouldn't be here, but they made it, and it was a feel-good, and it was like, wow, these guys are ahead of schedule. But 2018 up until 2022, this team was primed to win a World Series. They should have been in it. I mean, that's how all the fans viewed it. That's how they were positioned. That's how they were covered by you know a lot of the media. That's just what it was. And time and time again, they've come up short one reason or another. 
And every single time there's another excuse and we got to get ready for it because cash was going to throw it at us. Like I said, whether it's going to be no DJ and Benintendi or, you know, they just weren't hot at this time. And, and there's going to be something that we're not going to want to hear, but, but it's coming. Yeah. That would bother the hell out of me. Cause I, I mean, especially the whole, like, we got lucky, and it's something I killed Spencer Stryer for in August when he said that after the Mets series, and then we saw it happen to him in the playoffs. He got basically knocked out right away. It's like, for me, it's like, you're here. I don't really care about the exit velocity, the roof being open, or, like, they got lucky, whatever. Like, it's baseball. You have to make contact, and good things happen. So, like, that bothered me. So, sort of, like, that thing accounted for the fact that they just played terribly. No, it, it's, I mean, that's the last thing you want to hear um, after a crushing loss is that, well, maybe if the roof uh, was closed, it would have been, I mean, no one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear that. And, you know, you also think to this stuff. And, and again, I saw today that it was um, not, not un, that they, the rumors were wrong, but just unconfirmed exactly what it was. But you hear these stories about, you know, the Yankees showing 2004 highlights of the Red Sox. And David Ortiz is FaceTiming Aaron Boone. Now, listen, I get the Red Sox were the only team to ever do that. And I get maybe David Ortiz wasn't calling Aaron Boone about that. Maybe it was something else. But just the thought of that being publicly spoken about is just like, what happened to the Yankees I grew up with? Now, I'm not trying to be that old fan. I know I'm getting a little older now. But, you know, I, I got to experience a lot of winning. And, but I just don't understand how they could, this, is, this is what it's come to. I mean, we're having excuses about roofing open our injuries. And we're watching highlights of the Red Sox beating the Yankees, which is probably the most embarrassing series in the the history of the Yankees, this long story franchise, and that's what we're resulting to. I mean, it's just a lot of things where it's like, what happened to this organization? And it seems like it's from the top down where, you know, back when it was George Steinbrenner, and again, I don't mean to be on that high horse, be like, well, if George was alive, I'm not trying to be like that. But when he was around, it was World Series or bust. And it seems like the last decade or so, it's, that's not the mindset that the team has. It's, you know, we make the playoffs, we get far, and, you know, things happen and there were injuries or we ran into a hot team and it wasn't necessarily what we did wrong. It's what they did right. And that's just something that I'm not used to, but it seems like it's the norm nowadays. Yeah, I want to put a pin out for you. I want to touch on the Red Sox thing. And I, when I saw this yesterday's reports that they're sending around highlight videos of the 04 Red Sox and that I know it's apparently Eduardo Perez facilitated this meeting between Ortiz and Boone over FaceTime, like, that would bother the hell out of me if I'm a Yankee fan. I know that Michael K apparently spoke. Some three players were on that 014, and they said they were pissed off when they heard about this because, like, it's not like, oh, like, the Red, like, it's not like, oh, like, the Braves beat the Mets that came from 3 nothing down. You watch that and say, look, it can happen to us. Like, this is literally going back, reliving one of your most worst moments in your team's history for motivational purposes. Like, I don't know how that sits very well in the front office. And I get it that, you know, who's there that's still left over besides, obviously, front office members and, uh, people like that but you know there's no players nobody really has that tie but I think it's just again it's that that pride thing where if I'm on the 2022 Yankees I'm personally not going to be watching David Ortiz and and all these highlights of you know Manny and Pedro and all these guys just being but beating the Yankees that's not that's not something you want to see that's not something I want to hear I mean I tweeted that was just embarrassing to to see that that's what the Yankees resulted to and I honestly just I don't know I, there's there's really no words for uh, what happened that they they were resulting to showing highlights of the, the Red Sox just makes no sense to me. It really does in here. And another thing I've noticed over the last like couple of weeks here, and I'm, and I'm sure if you caught this as well, is I feel like Michael Kay has been very, very publicly critical of 
the Yankee front office and Aaron Boone. That's some of the interviews that Boone have been contentious over the uh, last few weeks. Do you, do you read anything into that? Because it feels interesting that, like, Michael K, who's usually been more, like, you know, he's in a tough spot. He works for Yes. He's employed theoretically by the Yankees. But he's been, like, beating the drum of, like, things have got to change. This is unacceptable. This is ridiculous. I feel like he's gotten way hotter than he's been in the past. You know what? I and I know Michael K is a divisive figure, especially on Twitter, just in general. But I think he very much so speaks in how it is. And obviously, I respect that. I mean, he's got one of the toughest jobs where you have to talk, you know, a lot of different things for four hours on the radio and flip to the game and, and kind of, you know, you, you work for yes. So you're not going to completely go against them. But he was fair in all his criticism. Um, he was honest, which you have to respect. And he was right, too. I mean, he was questioning a lot of the decisions. Now, I think he harped on um, some like the bullpen decisions where I think the Yankee struggles were clearly in the offense. And, you know, there's, you know, the, the decision maybe more so was more so of his um, critiques where Boone made the wrong decisions. Meanwhile, the offense just didn't show up. So I, I kind of see where it's coming from. But um, in the end, I mean, I love the honesty, respect the honesty. And um, that's something I expect out of Michael K. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. He's seen a lot of things. And, uh, and, you know, he has the pulse on the organization and where they where they stand. So a lot of things that come out of his mouth either could be coming from the organization, some people in there, or foreseeing or foreshadowing what could be to come. So it's interesting. But, yeah, he definitely lifts them up pretty much all, all series long. Yeah, and I think it was interesting, his point that he was making here, because, like, I feel like it's sort of like stuff, some stuff he said, especially regards to the matter. So, like, he's got, like, some sort of approval that people in the organization feel this way. But I want to start with Cashman first here, because – his contract expired. He's been there a long time. He won a bunch of championships. This has not gone well, though. I feel like there's a point where, you know, in sports, you say, oh, need a new voice in the room. This feels like the natural opportunity to say, okay, Brian, thank you for your service. You did a long, long time job. We'll have you back in like five, a few years, have a big ceremony for all you contributed here. But maybe we should turn this over to a fresh direction. I don't think it could go that way. But would you be like, would you be okay if they said, okay, time for Brian to move on? We'll get a new direction of the front office. I mean, I am totally in the belief of that um i think uh brian cashman has done a lot of good with the yankees obviously um he has probably the toughest job in all the sports um but at the same time it's like how many things could you change i mean the, the big thing was going from girardi to Boone, right that was supposed to be the big change uh the yankees had somebody with a little like you know more more loving and less aggressive and just they wanted to get away from that old school uh, baseball manager mentality and, and shift to a new school, a new voice, which I got. And, you know, I, I didn't think it was necessarily fair for Girardi, but it was kind of understandable, right? The Boone situation, granted, he's won a ton of games. Um, he's had a lot of regular season success, but it hasn't resulted to anything. And at this point, you know, you, you can't necessarily, I don't think, put all the blame on his shoulders because he came into this job as a novice. He never was on a coaching staff. He was just right from um, the, the broadcast booth to managerial. And, you know, you always hear the stuff where the front office makes the decisions and that starts at the top of Brian Cashman. Um, he's been in the organization forever, been in his job since 1998. Um, you know, you'll hear, speaking of Michael K before, he'll be the first one to tell you, you know, Cashman will get a job tomorrow if the Yankees fired him tonight. Like another team will pounce on him. And I, I, I do agree with that. And I believe Cashman would work with another team and, and do great with them, I'm sure. But at some point, it's just you need a new voice. You need a new mindset. You need a new vision. And I think it's at that point that the Yankees do need that. Now, the issue with that is, on my end, I've been saying that probably for one or two off seasons now. 
And I just don't believe the Yankees will make the change. I just think there's a comfortability factor there. I think they believe in what they're doing. And it, what's wild is I think they truly believe that they, if there weren't injuries, they would have won. And if there was, you know, if, if they were hotter at this time, they would have won. They, they believe in what they say, which makes me think again that I think Cashman will be back. Yeah, I think I agree with that here. The one thing I think I noticed here is terms, I think the C under Aaron Boone, I know he's got a contract last year. He's got two more years left on it after this year. I think it's getting a little hotter because they've seen players in the locker room be more critical of some of his decisions making here. Remember Michael K going off on him. The fans are vitriolic right now, and obviously he's in limbo until the cashing situation gets resolved here. But I do think there's a non-zero chance here that they throw Aaron Boone to the Wolves here and say, look, like we have to change something. We're going to change the manager now. So like, do you think this happens? I think I have an idea of like what they want to do if they do go that direction. Yeah, I mean, I could, I wouldn't be surprised with that either. Um, you know, the only problem I'd say with that is that you're going to get somebody that comes in that's basically Boone 2.0. They don't want to get somebody who is an old-school guy. I mean, you see the Rangers hiring Bruce Bochy. The, the Yankees were not getting in that market. They, they would bring in somebody who would be the same, I think, a younger, um, you know, more of a, uh, a, a player-coach relationship thing where um, they, he wouldn't be too aggressive with his player, something like Joe Girardi was. So I could see it. I think it's, you know, you're at that point, too, where it's like, how many times can we get there and it not pay off? And you, you get the resources and, you know, it, it's a lot. But I, I don't think I don't think firing just Aaron Boone is the right answer. Um, I think it's either you keep both of them or you get rid of both of them. And I think it's going to be both of them next year. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be also surprised if to save face, that's what they do. But in my opinion, I don't think that's the right decision to just do one. It's got to be both all in or all out. With the two of them. Yeah, I think my theory here, this is something I've been just keeping an eye on here in terms of the, the conversation around the team. I feel like there's a chance that like if Boone goes, the guy who would come in would be Don Mattingly because you can sell it easily to the fan base. Oh, he's a veteran manager. He's managed like high-profile teams like the Dodgers. He has a ton of experience. Former Yankee coming home. Like, What do you think about that possibility? Listen, I tweeted after the final out of the game, Jeter, Mattingly, 2023. <laughs> Listen, I was frustrated. I'm a Yankee diehard fan. I grew up, man. Don Manning was my favorite player. Derek Jeter, obviously, was the glory years when I was a kid, you know? So, listen, I'm getting the worst feedback on Twitter based on that reaction. Um, I was frustrated. I want to – like, here's the thing. The, tw- the 2004 Red Sox thing struck a nerve in my core so deep that I said, I just want these last two captains to run the ship. This is what I want. And, you know, you get the feedback. Oh, uh, Don Mattingly's one of the worst managers, blah, blah, blah. Derek Jeter, Joe the Marlins. Okay, I get it. I'm sorry. I was in a bad mood. I just, that's what I want to see as a fan, all right? Listen, that's, that's where I'm at with that. But I, I, at the same time I say that, and, you know, the tweet was in jest. I'm not saying I was, I'm all in on that, although I would love it off the record. But the thing with Don Mattingly is, I, I think he would be a great fit. He's been in the dugout, in the Yankees dugout, hitting coach, bench coach. He's done it there, ha- had a lot of success with the Dodgers. You know, the Marlins, you know, he, he was with a team that, that was that was rebuilding. And obviously his his overall managerial record reflected that, right? But well, I think he would be a great get for them. I think that would kind of restore some of that prestige. And like you said, that would be big for the fans. But at the same time, you're, you're bringing in a legend. And at some point, that legend's going to go and, and hopefully it would be on a good thing, a good reason, but it could be bad. So it, it's a tight rope. You know, you bring in Don Mattingly and they, they 
don't make the playoffs next year. And then, you know, they, they fall in the first round the next year. It's like, then you got to fire this guy who you brought back that that's a legend. And it was a big homecoming. So it, it's definitely a slippery uh, slope that they're on uh, with this new, if they do look for a new manager. Uh, my thing is whether it's Don Mattingly or not, I think you need somebody who is in the ilk of Don, Don Mattingly where he is a veteran. He's seen a ton of games, but he's also, interested in the new analytics and, and is in tune with that and is willing to listen. But I do think they need to bring in somebody who has that experience, years worth of experience. And that's something that Don Manley does have. That's like they, sh- they thought they should have done last year when, they had, when Buck Schalter was on the market. They might have thought they were going to go that way. They didn't end up not go, not doing it. He saw Buck did for the Mets. And granted, it didn't end well, but they still won 101 games. Yeah, see, Buck is another one like that where he's an old school guy with the new school philosophies. I mean, he's always... Um, in tune with analytics. I mean, you saw him on the Yes Post games last year. He, he was big on that stuff. And I thought he was another one that would have been a great hire if, if the timing was right. Um, obviously, it wasn't at the time because Boone stayed. And, you know, the, those type of uh, managers that I think the Yankees should look for, they're very few and far between at this point. Um, so it would be tough. Um, but I don't know, man. I, you know, again, the gut says Boone comes back, but it's definitely going to be interesting. It will be here. I do want to touch on before we end here the the role House Steinbrenner plays. I found the great column day from Ian O'Connor with, uh, in the New York Post about it. I'm sure you've seen the quote, but I'll read it to the audience here. When he talks about this is from Ian's column zero. Look, it's a consideration. Steinbrenner said of luxury tax thresholds for the season. That's my job every year. Make sure we're financially responsible. We've got a lot of partners and banks and bondholders and things I answer to. At the same time, it's always our goal to field a championship team. So the thing that I that just popped my eyes out when I saw that is like. Yeah, like Hal is. We've always joked that Hal cares more about the bottom line than winning. And here he basically says, like, it's my job number one to make sure that this is a financially sound business. And it's nice that we can win a championship, but the business has to come first. Yeah, and listen. On one hand, you know, you I you, you can understand it, right? It's it's a family business. A lot of Steinbrenners and and their in laws are, are working in that organization that only work for the Yankees, right? So there's got to be. Um, you know, that, that, that line where they have to make money. I mean, when you think of George, he, the Yankees were, you know, at one point, like they were, they were more a hobby for him where he was all in on winning and it would, no matter what the cost was, he was willing to put it in to get that. And it just seems like Hal is not that type of guy. And I, I, I'm what, like I said before, on one hand, I can't fault him, but it's just like when your dad is George Steinbrenner and you're running the New York Yankees, the expectation is you have to do everything you can to win. Now, if you ask him, I'm sure he would say this year they fielded a championship team. Since 2018, they've been fielding a championship team. Anybody can make that argument, but that's the difference between George and Hal, where George would see these teams and say this is a complete failure. Hal sees these teams and says, well, they made it to the LCS again. Success was the fifth time in however many years. Um, You know, they they made it far. And again, I hate using these examples, but it's back to the excuse as well. We ran into a buzzsaw. Well, we kind of cooled off at the wrong time. Well, these guys were injured. That's how they see it. And that's why, unfortunately, I don't think things will change. That's why I said I think Cash will be back. That's why Boone will be back. It's going to be interesting, but that's kind of why the status quo is. And, and that's kind of, as a whole, why the Yankees have been how they are since 2018. I agree with you. It's something I've noticed, too, over the last few years. I feel like that a lot of Yankee fans don't realize this. And there's a big chorus on Twitter going, oh, the injuries, oh, we'll be all right. Like, we, 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 we're not lucky here. The playoffs are a crapshoot. I feel like the bar is in lowered, obviously, from George going, like, I want to do anything I can to win. Go get the best possible players to – I feel like Hal is more like, 
we're going to be in the playoffs every year. That's our that's our mandate. We're going to get there. And the playoffs are a crapshoot. If we happen to win, great. But as long as I'm getting 3 million people through the turnstile, selling a bunch of chicken buckets, I'm selling jerseys, like, that's more important right now. And if we happen to win along the way, that's fantastic. But this format makes it impossible for me to make it worth spending on Bryce Harper over, you know, a more stopgap option when we see what Bryce Harper is doing for the Phillies in this postseason. So that I think Yankees haven't really caught on to. Yeah, I feel like if this group comes back again, I think it's starting to become more aware. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's a lot of the problems you could send back that far with, with Bryce Harper uh, should have been chosen instead of, you know, going trading for Stanton or, and I know Stanton's on their lap. These are conversations for different days, but that's, that's kind of like where we're at at this point. It's like, instead of sticking with Clint Frazier until you had to DFA him, you could have went out and got a uh, Bryce Harper or Miguel Andohar, Manny Machado. I mean, there's so many examples of this where the Yankees just, you know, they, they went with the fiscally responsible thing, which is interesting because now guess what? They had, they took on Donaldson, who's going to make 29 million next year. Aaron Hicks is making 10, 12 million next year. I mean, these things pile up too. And these are positions that, you know, you Hicks, they're going to have to attach prospects to trade him. And then Donaldson, who knows what's going to happen with him. And, and that's eating money. So you would think, you know, signing Bryce Harper to a $30 million contract and then making that money back with Jersey sales and possibly making it to the world series instead of, you know, combining Hicks and Donaldson for $30 million, let's say, you know, it's all, it's all hindsight conversation, but it's more of, again, that's, that's the deep rooted cause issue here is that they'd rather, you know, go fiscally responsible on the field, hopefully field the championship team and, and get hot at the right time. And again, you pretty much put the nail on the head where, you know, the hope is, you know, he makes it to the LCS, but where we sold how many extra uh, tickets, during the playoffs and add X amount of dollars that, you know, eventually uh, is in our pocket. So, um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's a, it's a microcosm of what this organization has become. And I know Hal was in charge long before 2018, but it kind of seems like 2017 was that year that was started at all. And it was a little early. And ever since then, it's, it's been a downward slope or at least an even keel. And there's been nothing that has gone up in terms, obviously, of the championship. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I made, I made jokes offline. This is the Wilpon mess. The Wilpon mess. Remember the goal was always, oh, September competitive games. The Yankees, October competitive games. But I think the difference is like in the past, like if the Yankees made a financial mistake, like they would say, okay, it's not a big deal. Let's we'll spend more money and get somebody else and not worry about this contract. Like a couple of the pitchers in the mid 2000s sort of fall in this category. Now, like you said, like when you miss on Aaron Hicks or Josh Donaldson, it really hamstrings you because they're not going to go get the big guy that can solve the hole. They're going to try and stop gap. That really sort of, limits your upside here because the last five times the Yankees lost ALCS, they've not been the higher seed. So you look at the situation and you're like, why, like, why are we're not the Dodgers here where the Dodgers are developing talent. They've been the best team to lead. They've gotten, they've legitimately gotten unlucky in this postseason format. Whereas the Yankees have lost somebody better than them every time. Yeah. And you know, you, it's just that, that like, you, again, you nailed it on the head where it's the, the fiscally responsible way is just, and, I, and at the same, again, I get it. I get it. It's a business. And, you know, I don't know what's going on with finances. I mean, you never know what that stuff like that. But, you know, it just it, the, the moves, the wrong moves and the wrong way they're spending money. And it's just they pile on each other. And at one point, you know, you say, all right, listen, of course, all the Yankees fans wanted Clint Frazier to get a shot. All of them wanted Miguel Andahar to get a shot. Everybody wanted Gary Sanchez to make it right. And then it didn't work out. But how many times are we going to go through this where, OK, we keep giving these people a shot, passing on these other people and it just never works out? At some point, you have to look at your decision-making, your talent evaluators, and, uh, and kind of look in the mirror and figure out what the real problem is. 
Yeah, I mean, even for all the people who are saying, you know, oh, let's get like Manny, but like we, like we, instead of keeping like Andujar for for Manny Machado, you could always sign Manny Machado and then have a star at that position, and then trade Miguel Andujar for something else you need. Like that's an that's an avenue that does not make enough retention for like if you're developing and spending money. Of course, yeah, that's that, that would have been the ideal situation, right? But just wasn't wasn't meant to be. And the Yankees, you know, they 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 thought they were making the right moves and. A lot of people, including me, were bought in. I was all in on this baby bomber era, quote unquote, which is still going, obviously. But I mean, it's just—it's wild how many times this front office swung and missed on a lot of these decisions. And um, you know, that again goes back to what are they going to do with cashing? Yeah, it really does. That's still up in the air here. And I will make one prediction here for the off season. Aaron Judge, I think he's—he's he's not going anywhere because I feel like, in terms of as what we spoke to about. Hal's like business sensibilities here. Like it makes no financial sense to let Aaron judge go because of the amount of merchandise they can sell. Like the 62 home run shirts aren't going to sell them. are going to be much harder to sell. If he's in the giant uniform as opposed to the Yankee uniform. I mean, listen, you're signing judge to a, let's say, I don't know. I don't think it'll be this much. Let's say 10 year contract, 10 year, 300 mil. Obviously it's not, you know, that's not something a lot of people would want because of, you know, judge how old he's going to be at the end and what have you. Right. But that, 10-year contract is realistically a lifetime contract. You're locking Judge in to be that guy who's going to be throwing out the first pitch in the World Series when the Yankees are in it when he's 50 years old. They're going to be selling 99 jerseys in 50 years, just like they're selling Derek Jeter jerseys every time you go into the stadium right now. I mean, that's the thing when you had a player like Aaron Judge where, you know, you, he, he's larger than life. He embodies the organization. He's great on the field. I know he didn't have a great playoffs, but I don't let that take away the regular season for me anyway. And it's something you're going to make money hand over fist with him. It's a logical decision. Again, on a business bench, which we know how is mostly worried about, as we could all tell, right? But in a baseball sense, because if they don't bring Aaron Judge back, the Yankees will probably be a fourth place team in the AL East. Let's be honest. They're not going to be what they are and, and, and anywhere close to it, right? So it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, He's definitely going to be listening to offers. He, he's a union guy, so he's gonna he's not going to take a discount to go with the Yankees, right? So if a team comes and really blows him out of the water, it's going to get real interesting. But my gut is too that they will do everything in their power to bring him back, kind of like Garrett Cole, where you know there were some rumors, Angels, but the Yankees were going to lock him in and bring him in. I think that's something that's going to happen to Judge. Yeah, I think the, the thing with Judge, and this is where we wrap it up here with this, is like there is no world. Where they'll let the Mets out, but they're Marin Judge. I don't think the Mets will be in that market anyway. They feel they got enough pitching issues to worry about. That they're not going to go be the high bid on him. But you would the team I worry about here is the Giants because the Giants obviously have a ton of money to spend. He's a Bay Area guy. Like if the Giants come up with something very stupid, like where they say, "Oh, we'll give you four hundred million dollars over eight years, give you fifty million a year." That's the only scenario I could see where Judge possibly leaves. If the Yankees side, that's too high. That's too rich for our blood. But I think it would take a lot to get there. Yeah, I think it would take a lot to get there too. I mean, again, we kind of broke it down. It's just he he brings so much money just as the player that he is that it's going to be worth their while. And and like I said, your this ten year contract should be a lifetime contract at this point because you're going to lock him in to be there the next face of the franchise and and doing everything that the you know the community outreach and all that stuff when he's when he's retired and bringing him back for all these different events and and old timers day. You know, it's just it's things that you're going to bring him back and use him for everything. He's just that next guy, so um, they, they they really don't have a choice. They have to lock him up, man, because if not, it's going to be bad news for this organization. Yeah, we'll see what happens here for the next few days. I was, I don't, I was, I'm assuming we're going to probably see by Friday, I would guess, like 
this press conference where Brian Cashin is back and then announced Boone is back. That's what I would assume the timetable is. You would, would you agree? Yeah, probably. It would be at some point this week where they do that little like debriefing and break down everything that happened. I'm sure we'll see. But just I got to remind everybody, keep in mind, last year at that press conference, what were they saying? Shortstop was the area of need. We're definitely going to address it, blah, blah, blah. So at this point, could you even take what they say, you know, at face value? Not really. Yeah, that's for sure, Dan. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, we follow on social media and keep up with uh, what you're tweeting about the Yankees. Yeah, man. Just follow me on Twitter at Dan J. Federico. Um, this offseason, uh, there will definitely be more writing coming your way, so just stay tuned to that. Um, there's some things going on in the works with that as well. So, uh, But, yeah, everything that I do, you can find me at Dan J. Federico on Twitter. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, Mike. No problem. Thanks for having me. The Two-Minute Drill. Right, two minute drill time, and the New York Jets are an interesting spot here because they pick up a big win on Sunday over the Denver Broncos. They go to five and two, but it does come with some costs in the form of injuries. Brees Hall, the fantastic rookie running back, tears his ACL and meniscus. He is out for the season. It's a brutal blow because he's probably their most effective offensive player of the entire year. They have basically that go on. They lose a vice to Tucker, their best offensive lineman to a guard, and like to a torn triceps muscle. That's another brutal blow. And I think the issue here is with this offensive situation here, the Jets have a quarterback they don't fully trust yet. Zach Wilson has shown some some things. He also looked like he doesn't belong in the field half the time, which that happens with young quarterbacks. This is something with the 2017 team. I mean, something that happened with, you know, the 2019 is what I want to say. Because you had this elite, young uh, offensive line. had a great defense. You had the running game, but you needed to protect the quarterback. Losing Brees Hall certainly hurts that for I know Michael Carr is a good back, but there was not much behind him. So the Jets go ahead to make a fantastic trade. They go send a sixth-round pick to become a fifth to the Jacksonville Jaguars for James Robinson, who is barely playing because they basically hand the backfield to Travis Etienne. I know James Robinson's had a little bit of an injury issue this year. But the guy is still a productive running back. I mean, he came into the league two years ago as an undrafted player. He rushed for over 1,000 yards in his rookie year. Last year, averaging 4-7 a carry, and he scores eight touchdowns. Bring him in to be the comment to Michael Carter. Gives you a foundational piece of the running game. He's only 24 years old. It's a late-round draft, which you can recoup by training back in the draft. And it's a good sign of confidence in this group to say, hey, we believe in you. Let's bring a guy in here who can help this team right now because the AFL outside of, you know, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Philadelphia is extremely mediocre. I don't think there's three te- any teams beyond those three that belong in the top tier of the league. You have a chance right now, you're the Jets. You are 5-2. and two. You are the third. You are tied with the Chiefs, the second-best record in the AFC. You have a tricky stretch coming up here. You got the Patriots twice in three games. You got the Bills coming into town. You win one game here, you are basically in a great spot to go to the playoffs because you still have matchups against the Bears, the Lions, the Jags at home. You have some tricky games still on the road with Seattle, Miami, and the Vikings, Bills, road games are not easy either. You need to fortify this team and give this team a chance to, you know, build some confidence and help the quarterback develop here. Bring in a running back like James Robinson does that at a minimal cost and invest in your roster and 
it's sort of like the trade acquisition of baseball where, you know, you have a team that's, you know, overachieving and you bring in the big bat and you say, look, we believe you guys. Let's go get the job done. That bolster confidence, especially in a week where there was a little turmoil in the locker room after the Elijah Moore trade request, that's a good sign. And I think it will help the Jets out a lot. And this Sunday's game against New England is massive. We're getting more into it in the picks later in the week, but I'm excited to see how this plays out. I think it's going to be a lot of fun with the Jets this year, especially they had the NFL's longest playoff draft. They got a good shot to snap it. I think they have a 60% chance to get in the playoffs right now, according to some of the advanced analytics. This would be fantastic. They can pull this off. And getting James Robinson can only help. And with that, I want to end the show for the week, the first show for the week. I want to thank Dan Federica for hopping on the line to talk some New York Yankees base. I'll do an instant reaction to the laws and sort of see where things went wrong, where we could be going from here. Work yourself like this podcast, including my look at the Elijah Moore situation which at first happened, the instant reaction to that. Check out the vlog over at justinasuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. Episode 7 of the podcast is out now. The Andor recap. Episode eight coming this week. So be out in the Sky Guys feed on Thursday. Won't be in the in the Justin Suffering feed till over the weekend. So you want that instant access? If you'll subscribe and get in on that, it's certainly a lot of fun. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips three three one. That's m p h i l i p s three three one. And that's going to do it for our first show of the week. Coming up later this week on the podcast, we're going to have a special interview with author Jeff Pearl. Now his new book on Bo Jackson. We're talking to him about that. Do some NFL picks and more. Until I have a better week than the Yankee fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.